Hello and welcome to Rooftop, the brand new podcast brought to you by the NFRC. My name is Phil Campbell. And I'm Pip Applegate and we're here at the premises of AL King Roofing in Melksham with their working trade yard just outside. So on this podcast, we will interview industry figures, thought leaders and technical experts to give you all you need to know to ensure you are leading in roofing excellence. And we'll bring you regular features, which will include things like topical news discussions, technical tips and guidance to help you stay safe on site. On today's episode, we will be interviewing NFRC's Chief Executive, James Talman. He's going to talk to us a little bit more about this podcast, what it's all about and what he hopes it will achieve for the industry. He will also talk about his experience managing NFRC through COVID-19 and where he sees the industry going coming out of this crisis. So we hope you enjoy this first podcast and make sure you subscribe so you can get an alert when the next episode is published. Please do also send us your feedback and any questions you have for our technical team that we can answer in future episodes. So a hot topic in the news at the moment is probably something you've heard about uh, the Chancellor talking in his plan for jobs. And it's known as the Construction Talent Retention Scheme. And Phil, I'm going to sort of quiz you with a few bits and pieces to kind of find out a bit more about it. Could you kind of give us a bit of background to the scheme and and why it's come about? Yes. So I think really you've got to start with the last recession when the construction industry lost um, 500,000 people to other sectors. Um, And really the industry has come together with government um, to find a solution to make sure that this doesn't happen again due to the impact of COVID-19. So they looked to other sectors, particularly the aerospace industry, and and looked at what models they have. And there's something we call the talent retention scheme. And this is essentially a portal whereby employers can put vacancies up for free and um, people who are looking for jobs can go on that portal and they can put their CVs up and and put themselves out there. So it's essentially a a jobs board, really, that the government are going to fund until April 2021 um, and to really support people who are at risk of redundancies and also having employers find the people they need. So it is for companies and individuals alike, not just for individuals to sign up for sort of a a job board, as you said. Um, Other sectors obviously have seen sort of success, have they? Yes, um, um, I mentioned the automotive sector earlier, particularly for Rolls-Royce. So obviously there's been some um, quite a few job changes in Rolls-Royce and they, they've made quite a good use out of this scheme. Um, so it's really hoped that this would have a similar impact in construction. And of course, mm-hmm. construction um, has you know is one of the biggest employers in the, in the UK economy. So if this takes off, this could have some real potential. And in terms of um, feedback so far, with obviously the schemes that are being discussed and, and, and launched obviously now, but what's the sort of feedback from the industry been like so far? So there's been overwhelming support for the scheme so far from the industry. For example, um, the chief executive of MACE Construction, Mark Reynolds, who also heads up the skills work stream for the CLC, um, he described the scheme as a critical lifeline for the construction industry and a great example of government collaboration. Um, So 
um, Mark Reynolds um, from Mace, but also um, other trade bodies as well. So um, the trade body behind this, the Association of Consultancy and Engineering, um, they um, um, provide a lot of input into this. And, and clearly, they've been very supportive of this scheme. And also the SICA, the Civil Engineering Contractors Association, have also been very supportive. So it sounds like a really positive uh, situation for people to be in at the moment, given the sort of uncertainty in some sectors. So yes. that's really good. And I would really encourage um, um, both our members um, who are recruiting at the moment to use this portal, but also those individual roofers. If you're at risk of redundancy or if you made redundant recently, then put yourself out there and, and put yourself on this scheme because it might mean that you can find a new job relatively quickly. And where should people actually find out more about it? Is there a website or a particular um, app they download? How, how do they go about finding more information on it? Yes, um, so there's a website um, that they can log on to called trs-system.co.uk forward slash construction and they'll be able to log on there with all of their details. Fantastic, thanks very much. So something else we've been hearing about in the industry recently is roof soot, but why is this news, Pip? Um, so you probably know that roof soot, the National Red Roofing Accreditation Scheme, has been in place for a couple of years now. But why it's sort of in the news at the moment is really that we've, we've actually gained continued support and funding. And that allows us to um, fund an additional 2,000 roofers to gain accreditation before March 2022. Um, now, the whole scheme, if you like, is in place to professionalise the industry. The aim is to provide individual roofers with that visible proof of their essential roofing skills and really help homeowners sort of distinguish, if you like, who they want to work on their properties. So that sounds really good. Um, but what has changed recently, Pip? So recently, with um, actually in advance of COVID-19, we'd got a series of six mandatory health and safety courses online. And this means that operatives um, could continue to undertake training, even if they're on furlough, which was great news. In addition to that, we've actually now got the online examinations um, available to finish accreditation alongside the face-to-face -face, uh, formats as well. But effectively, it means that roofers across the country can, can complete that exam without distance being a barrier. So for those listening, if they want to find out more or, or actually would like to start the roof search journey, where can they go to, to, to register? Uh, the Roof Cert website is where you want to head to, which is roofcert.co.uk forward slash recruitment. And there's a registration process that you can complete as an individual or as a company. It takes a literally a minute or so, and then the, the team from Roof Cert will be in touch to continue that process with you. Great. Thank you, Pip. So another news article which I thought might be worth talking about is Tradiga House in South Wales. Um, Phil, have you got some more information you can share on that with us? Yes, well, I actually grew up near Tradiga House, so I know a little bit about it. It's okay. um, a National Trust property, um, as you say, in South Wales near Newport. Um, the, the reason why um, I think it's interesting for this podcast is actually um, there are two lead roofs um, for the workshop and for the gardener's cottage. And these roofs are made from lead. And, and recently, um, all of the lead has been has been stolen by thieves. Um, the reason why this has come up as an issue is because, and this has now happened twice, and each time the roof has been replaced, um, the lead has been stolen again. Oh, crikey. Okay. So um, what, what's the situation at the moment then? Have I heard right that Newport City Council are being involved somehow? Yes. Well, um, they've now recommended that a listing building application is put in place to replace the lead with another material. Um, and the, the National Trust insurers have also said that they are not able to cover this if the repairs are carried out using traditional lead. So the search is now on to find another product. 
okay, so that's sort of quite a, an interesting stance to take when you've got a, a, a heritage property potentially at uh, the mercy of the weather at the moment. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts about sort of that change of use of traditional materials being being sort of a, a, an impact at the moment. Yes, well, um, there's a bit, a bit of a debate really between you know, the the traditionalists who, who who want to maintain that lead, but one and others who who think that other materials can be chosen. I think a solution can be found, and this is a great way for the roofing industry to demonstrate the diversity of different products that we provide. And um, so, all of those roofing suppliers out there, I'm sure there's a job for you here to try and find that alternative product. So for this first episode of Rooftop, our first ever guest is James Talman, Chief Executive of NFRC. Welcome, James. Hi, Phil. Hi, Pip. Hello. <laughs> so, James, could you tell us a little bit more information about what this podcast is all about? Yeah, uh, Phil, the, the, um, the whole purpose of this um, came to me during lockdown. Um, I like to listen to a, a series of political podcasts, which I tune in every week. Whilst I'm doing DIY or um, sometimes out even for a run or when I sort of break it up for music. <laughs> and I thought there's lots of webinars out there. And wouldn't it be nice for our members and uh, the greater roofing community to, to have a, a medium which they could, could ultimately be a conversation piece. That was sort of the objective of informing with information, obviously very important and relevant in the current COVID-19 situation, to pass on technical safety knowledge and to start to create a debate. So in other words, to encourage feedback um, because there's so much emails we have, you know, all our inboxes are flooded with emails and, and e-bulletins, et cetera. So I guess if we can create this as, as I say, ultimately a conversation piece that has the ambition to, to push ahead on this professionalization of our sector mm. and to encourage ultimately people to say, yeah, I want to be in roofing. Mm. So you mentioned um, webinars, James, but why a podcast and not a webinar? Well, I think, you know, if you, you think of the various activities across our industry. So, you know, typically in terms of uh, our ladies and gentlemen that are working on sites when they're traveling to site, they have the luxury of if they don't want to listen to music or whatever, they can tune into to this podcast. They might be um, collecting materials. They might be at home doing the invoicing at night. Um, so it's to give that flexibility at any time of the day or, or indeed night, Pip, that they can tune in and, and learn something, hopefully, and find the, the information that we provide uh, stimulating and thought-provoking. And a potential break from the screen as well. Oh, we all need that, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> So, James, we've just been through perhaps one of the, the biggest events that have in, has impacted the, the industry for, for some time. Um, and, you know, you've led a trade association through that time. Um, obviously, there has been some fundamental changes in, in both um, for NFRC staff, but also for NFRC members as well. So could you just talk a little bit about what lessons you've learned through this crisis? Uh, well, to start with, Phil, the obvious one which affected a lot of businesses in in city environments is we uh, we all um, you know went off to our respective homes and from that sort of typical sort of commuter type you know uh, that we all faced with, uh, we were suddenly 
in individual environments with, with a team of people, in some cases relatively new, and indeed your case, Phil, since joining the NFRC, that uh, we've all had to learn to work in a, in a, you know, a very different way. And we also were very conscious that we had to engage with every member as quickly as we possibly could. So that sort of revised way of working, I, I'm very, very proud of the work that, that our team have done and continue to do in terms of informing and helping to shape opinion to support our industry uh, during this time. And it's a, it's a way that naturally we want to go back to like we're doing today with, with uh, if I may use a Bruce Springsteen song, The Human <laughs> Touch, where we're together. And we want to have that balance, but I wouldn't mm. want to go back to, you know, that kind of very much the, the, the old way either. The, the other point uh, and the broader point of collaboration, I think, is very important. So very early on, the, uh, a name that was relatively new to me, the, the Construction Leadership Council, uh, formed a task force. And that's all been voluntary. And I have to commend the efforts of people that have given up massive amounts of time to, to come together to, for the good of the industry. And it's very easy to sit on the sidelines and criticize that or something, you know, something that hasn't or doesn't help or appear to help one part of the industry. But however, I think that collective approach, construction is often uh, thought to be lacking in collaboration, but that spirit we need to really drive through with regard to a lot of the issues that existed pre-COVID. The other thing I would say is uh, out of that is the NFRC itself has definitely got its profile um, much higher up the, the construction ladder. And we must ensure that we retain that. And uh, our industry of you know six, seven billion pounds is, is not to be sniffed at. Uh, it is a crucial to, to obviously by nature, any building. And there's so many exciting things where this industry can move forward but it needs to be at the top table to reflect that. So I think that's, that's very important. And then the final point I would say, learning out of this is not afraid to fail. Mm. Now, when I say that, um, I often see a lot of sort of collective group think, and I think it's really important not to just always follow the crowd and also be prepared to try a few things. So during the very early lockdown, for instance, and it's gonna sound daft, but we wrote to Tim Crook at Apple and said, could you come up with an app that will keep us two meters apart if we could, could share this one on smartphone <laughs> devices? And we know that that, that, that kind of technology is, is, is quite problematical to achieve, but we, we did ask and we did, we also approached a, a, a well-known um, firm in, with regard to antibody testing. In fact, we ordered some, pre-ordered some kits, and then we discovered that none of these kits were, were government approved. But we were thinking because of the fact that, that our industry was being asked to work, what can we do to help to keep our members safe? So a lot of lessons that we've picked up and uh, we must in, in, you know, c continue in that spirit. And so, James, what do you think your biggest concerns are for the industry coming out of this crisis, but not only from a health perspective, but also an economic one? Well, just, you know, coming back to picking up on the last question there, mm -hmm. Pips, on the health recognition piece, we, we wrote very early on uh, to the, uh, the CLC about how we're going to ensure that, you know, as an industry, just repeating the point, we were being asked to work by government 
In turn, we put in place as an industry site operating procedures, uh, and then they had to be reflected to various sectors. But it's crucial that, if you like, is our examination paper that we're able to monitor, ensure that our people, uh, I was talking to a contractor earlier today about this, on sites that there's proper effective monitoring should in the, the sad eventuality that there were infections that those those employees could be checked and and you know and, and traced even if we don't have an app it's vital on on sites that we are able to check and trace and so in the in the eventuality of a second outbreak mm -hmm. our industry can be ring fenced as much as possible and we are not forced into lockdown hmm. so then sort of the follow-on question with regard to economic. to the economic <laughs> health. Uh, that's, uh, that is a very, very uh, challenging question, I think, because I, I, I was on a, indeed a, a webinar, I think, last week uh, with, um, it involved Dan Walker, and, and I used the sort of acronym of BBC. So we're currently busy <laughs> as an industry, or generally in most cases, um, we are faced with uh, some bottlenecks, particularly with issues of uh, capacity and, and resources with, uh, with our colleagues and friends in the local authorities. And then the C piece, which is the, the combination between government, uh, the confidence piece, so confidence that the government is going to get the economy moving again, enabling people to, to feel confident to go back to work, to go to shops, et cetera. And also there's the, the degree of confidence that we as an industry must provide to all our stakeholders. It's not just something of government, it, it, it's on both sides in mm. my opinion. But that's going to be a challenge not, I think as, as the experts are saying, the recovery is V-shaped or in the mm -hmm. case that, that we're thinking uh, it might be um, down the route of a, oh, uh, the expression of a square root I used the other day with uh, a reverse square root. So if any of you mathematicians out there, <laughs> uh, the tail of the recovery starts to drop off, that's when we might start to have the challenge. Yeah. And so the, the dilemma of where well, we're busy now, um, but in six months time, if that confidence level that we all need to help to, to build up causes that dip, we've got to do our very best to ensure that dip is, is you know, is, 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 is as little as possible. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, James, I just want to pick you up on that, on that point there. So obviously a lot, of, a lot of members listening are obviously quite concerned about future workloads and where that's going to come from. And I, I know that you sit on um, some subgroups as part of the Construction Leadership Council. Could you talk a little bit more about that and some of the kind of policy ideas you've been discussing there? Yeah, Phil, I mean, the, the, the industry has overall some broad tenancy that which wishes to achieve, but then quite rightly, it's looking at the four sectors. So in particular, house building, uh, infrastructure, commercial public construction, and domestic repair, maintenance, and improvement. And we're involved directly on the latter two. And one of the areas I'm, I'm particularly, uh, I think if you look at the political climate, I think incentives are going to, uh, rock the boat, if I could use that expression, of number 10 more than, than, than handouts. Um, and so we've been looking at capital allowances as, for example, to encourage, uh, you know, building owners, et cetera, clients to want to build in the UK if they're coming from abroad, in particular, again, in the, in the, in the current climate of coming out of the EU. 
issues with China, et cetera, it's going to be really important as part of the leveling up process that we start to actually make things in the UK again, as opposed to rely on the financial economy. So that capital allowance to encourage pharmaceuticals, new tech, et cetera, uh, that, that's, um, I think, really important that we, we have that, that real incentive. And when we looked at capital allowances currently, they are, we're way down the league table. So we're, he we're lobbying heavily on looking at, at getting those looked at and some substantial uptake, uh, hikes, I should say, to, to uh, encourage that inward investment. So off the back of those points then, James, do you see the industry looking very different after all this? Well, I think, Pip, to start with, we need, and, you know, off the back of we, we've talked about collaboration, but we need a more honest debate over uh, matters which hold the industry back, you know, ones that have been kicking around for, for ages, frankly. You know, fair payments, uh, retentions, uh, disproportionate risk put on our members and the specialist chains, uh, lack of skills recognition, and that perennial problem of value, so whole life value of a project as opposed to its price. Mm -hmm. These are matters that all link into things like the industrial strategy to improve things, but there's underlying liquidity issues across construction. Until they are addressed, some of these matters will never be properly overcome. So mm -hmm. there's some fundamental things we need to get resolved. <laughs> but off the back of it... We've got to ensure that as an industry ourselves, we practice what we preach. So <laughs> we've got to reflect in terms of our supply chain. There is, in some sectors, well over 50% of the workforce are subcontractors. And we've got to ensure and help to protect those ladies and gentlemen, particularly if we go into tougher times with regard to, to work levels and we don't lose the, the, those valuable people to our industry. Mm. And... I remember when I first came into the role, there was the Farmer Review. I've got a lot of time and respect for Mark Farmer, who produced that report. It had a dramatic title, which upset one or two in the industry. It was <laughs> Adapt or Die. I think I've, I've got that right. And um, you know, within that, Mark highlighted in particular the, the cyclical nature of the sector, the unpredictability of, of future works, and the lack of collaboration. Now we're seeing off the latter point, as I say, we've got this goodwill flowing. We need to get those other two points addressed to give predictability, to give assurance, to encourage, you know, that I want to be in the industry because I can see a path, yes. I can see a future. Yeah. Great. So we've spoken quite a bit about the industry, um, about the COVID-19, um, but I just want to ask a few questions about yourself, James, um, seeing as we have you on as a guest. So um, how did you get into the industry? Oh, have you got an hour, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll keep it nice and brief. So <laughs> I, as you, you might, for those who don't know me, I was, uh, I was born in South Africa, so I've got a slight uh, twang from, from down <laughs> south. Sometimes people get me mixed up with uh, Australia and New Zealand, so in the rugby stakes that doesn't go down <laughs> very well. Um, but uh, I, I did all my... Um, my university uh, uh, in, in the UK and I've got a lot of family in the UK and I started my career in the automotive industry and then ended up in metals. And like mm -hmm. a lot of people in, in our sector, I came to it by accident because <laughs> I worked for a corporate company that acquired a roofing contractor. 
So my background and experience in the roofing industry was to start with with those who are listening in, in fully supported metal roofing. So <laughs> lead, copper, uh, aluminium. I, think, I seem to remember we did a titanium roof mm. and some welded mm. stainless steel jobs. Mm. Uh, so it was a very interesting time. And technology was also changing with regard to polymers. So that was sort of the start of uh, what is now known as single ply membrane roofing. And uh, through that sort of route, I, I got into, was approached to run um, two companies. And the second one, quite well known in the market, is a Norwegian company, which I started from scratch and uh, built to a reasonable size. And then through certain personal events, I had to step away from that and uh, reflect on, uh, you know, your, your life, if I can put it in that respect. Mm -hmm. uh, it's quite uh, significant things to, to consider. And also a young family. And then I came back to, I was encouraged to take a position in the trade association um, space, which was totally new to me and uh, rapid learning curve. And that was the Single Ply Roofing Association where I, I as a consultant, I, I, I was uh, the CEO, worked very closely with uh, the technical director and ultimately we brought in somebody who now works for the NFRC, Gary Walpole, on, on training. And anyway, through that uh, route, I never forget, I was with a uh, family, we're on a beach in just uh, north of Lisbon in the, in the good old summer on a day like today. And I got a phone call from uh, former CEO Ray Horwood of the NFRC saying, would I be interested in applying for the job because he was retiring. And um, I remember we watched a film on the beach. I reflected over the night and decided, yes, I would be keen to, to apply. And uh, very pleased to uh, say the, the board decided to, in their infinite wisdom to <laughs> take me on. And, uh, uh, you know, so that, that's, that's how I came to it, Phil. You mm. sort, of, sort, of, sort of answered my question I had in there, but I was, I was going to ask you, what specifically made you want to join the NFRC as CEO? Uh, well, I, I saw it, you know, I, I'd engaged obviously with the NFRC mm. and, and knew quite a lot of the, uh, the, you know, the members from the sector I, I came from. Um, and it was seen as very much an organisation and, and is with fantastic heritage, very obviously the number one uh, organisation in the roofing space by, by some way. And um, I just felt that perhaps with the background in the sector, could I look at how we could sort of really develop the professional side, so the, the value of the... The, the fixer, the roofer, whatever trade it might be for, from heritage roofing right across the spectrum to we are developing as an organization, our members are doing stuff also in, in offsite. So mm. we've got all the different spectrums and that needs to, to continue. And I'm so keen to ensure that in my tenure, we get the recognition for those professional skills. So hence the development of the, the competent person scheme called, you know, for those who don't know on this podcast, it's called Competent Roofer. Um, it's an extremely important uh, part of the NFRC armory with that uh, ISO 17065 uh, independent uh, assessment that we go through. And, and I can only see that side of our industry uh, being more and more required. 
and linked to that with individuals. And we've got the uh, pilot program that we're developing uh, that we want to bring to market called, you know, Roof Cert, that, that to be the equivalence, if we can use that expression, of similar schemes in the electrical gas industry. And that's all part of that recognition piece. So I guess when you've all had enough of me, or well, the members have, <laughs> hope you haven't, guys, uh, <laughs> that, that I can leave with some degree of legacy that we've moved on in, in, in professional terms. Mm. So to, to end on a future-looking question, um, what is your your vision for the industry? Well, there's a big question. So, <laughs> from you know, we we're going through the the whole thing of digitization. We are told we don't have enough. Uh, you know, we have skill shortage, etc. And I guess we've got to get that harmony between. At the one end, we're always going to need those who've got those specific craft skills for, for, you know, we've got such a, you know, a fantastic uh, building stock that that's always going to need those skills. But equally, we've got the big challenge of, you know, we've got housing shortage, etc. I've talked about the need to, to, to um, you know, really enhance our, our uh, building plans, hopefully, in, in manufacturing, etc. And you're going to need a crossover of those skills. Mm. And so we must not sort of be blind to the fact that that otherwise we'll get disruptors into our market like has happened elsewhere. We've got to have also that approach to doing things in what I call a, a digital way. Now, and that does not just mean that you're designing something digitally or a machine or a robot is producing something. It is working in combination so that we attract people who want to do that type of work in our industry as well as those who want to do real tactile work and see that they're, you know, that it's a very healthy activity. As long as we keep our, you know, all our members safe, there's nothing better than being outdoors and seeing that you've created something you can stand back and say, I helped to produce that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. James, I, I, I'm afraid that's, that's time now, but that has been a fascinating interview. It's been really good to hear your vision for the sector and what you hope to achieve, not only with this podcast, but you know, more generally for the NFRC moving forward. So thank you very much. Pleasure, Phil. Thanks, Pip, and all yeah. success with the podcast. Thank you. So now time for the technical update. Um, and we have Gary Walpole, uh, technical officer at NFRC, calling in. Um, Gary uh, started off as a roofer um, and then um, joined NFRC as a, a technical officer. He now um, sits on two committees as part of CONIAC, the Construction Industries um, Advisory Group on Health and Safety, um, on um, Working at Height, and also the Fire Safety Group. Gary, what is your technical tip for this episode? Yeah, so my tip would be to download the latest version of the HSE guidance note, HSG 33, Health and Safety in Roof Work. The HSE have recently released the fifth edition of this guidance note, um, which the NFRC have had extensive involvement of the revision, um, along with a focus group set up within our Health and Safety Committee um, back in 2017. So it's taken a long time for this guidance note to be published, but it was actually published at the end of June this year. 
and Gary, um, what would you say the kind of the the most important things in that document are for members to to know? Well, to be honest, the the document has received uh, an update rather than a full revision. And it's surprising that the changes are quite minute considering the last version was released in 2012, which is eight years ago. But it just highlights that we're not finding new risks uh, when we're carrying out roof work. We're just repeating the old ones. That's great. And Gary, just one last question. Where can members download this guidance note from? So, yeah, they, they can download it from the HSE. But I think it's important that members understand that we're not telling them to download this so they can learn roof safety because our own accident returns prove that our members do work safely. But what this document can do is support them in um, raising awareness with their own clients, building owners and principal contractors they work for in the importance of complying with HSG 33. So it should help remove the cowboys from the industry. I'm sure that's something we can all agree with. Thank you very much, Gary. Not a problem. And remember, if you're an NFRC member, you can download a summary of HSG 33 from the technical page of the member area of the NFRC website. So that's it for this episode. Thank you to James and to Gary and to my co-host Pip. Thank you to AL King Roofing for hosting us. Remember to subscribe, share with your friends and colleagues. Do tune in to the next episode. Goodbye. Stay safe. Back on the